so many people hate their own response to the following question. So what does your company actually do? Because in this moment, my friend, you have three options, okay? Number one, pitch slap your prospect. Number two, fumble your way through a long-winded response. And number three, deliver a punchy elevator story that sparks intrigue. Now, if you're nodding your head at number three, but you're like, hold up, I don't even know where to begin, then hey, don't worry. I've got your back. All right, head on down to www.theraviregiani.com forward slash your elevator story to unlock your very own free elevator story script, template, and guide. Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. From the mean streets of Chicago, Illinois, Stephanie Benavidez had her first exposure to sales when she was selling cookies door to door back in elementary school. Now, get this, people. Girl Scouts secretly taught her that selling was a part of her DNA. I mean, that's what happens when you're unknowingly learning from your dad who spent over 35 years building a career in the world of sales. And for the last 17 years, Stephanie has been building teams from ground up, overseeing GTM strategies for new products that have had shattering, well, I suppose shattered expectations is the best way to put it. And she's now the head of sales enablement over at LoadSmart. And today, people, I've pinned Stephanie down to focus on a topic that I'm passionate about and I know she's super passionate about. And that topic is how to present with confidence on camera in a virtual sales world. Welcome to the show, my friend. What's good? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on this beautiful Monday morning. Let's get it. Well, as I said in the green room, life as parents means, yes, every day is beautiful, but behind closed doors, it can be a circus, right, Stephanie? 100% a circus. I think uh, managing chaos could be part of my title in LinkedIn. Yes. <laughs> I mean, is that for, I suppose you do the same at work though, no? I mean, if we're going to go there, we totally could uh, alike in parenting with uh, managing chaos in a hyperscale uh, organization. Absolutely. Let's go there. I mean, it's the truth, right? It is the <laughs> truth. Sometimes I feel like life is all about how much chaos we can take and how we can keep our nervous system calm in a world which is just flinging everything at you. Kind of feel like sometimes I'm in an instant pot or a pressure cooker, right? How much, how much can I withstand in terms of deliverables, making sure that we're managing expectations, that we're communicating with clarity, that there's so many different shifting priorities when you work at those hyperscale organizations. So managing chaos, managing to that circus is definitely, I would say, one of my hidden talents. Well, 
speaking of hidden talents, I think it's secretly becoming mine. So last week, you know, last two weeks, really, my wife and I have been out of it because my daughter got sick. And there was one weekend where we were all out for the count, Stephanie. And I was like, I can't handle this. I need to write my will right now. I'm done. <laughs> I, I was like, this is so hard. And I was like, okay, once I'm out of it, I was like, okay, now I've learned how to deal with that scenario onto the next. I can sympathize, empathize with you in that regard. We were just coming off of our spring break. Not one, but both of my children ended up getting sick on spring break. And we're like, all right, we've got to go. We've got to go. We've got to, you know, go see the Empire State Building and go here and go there. And meanwhile, you know, we're trying to keep them happy, healthy, and otherwise, you know, we're looking around saying, okay, maybe we need to slow down today. Maybe we need to read the room and take just a a beat and allow these children to be, you know, in, in their element and sick. And maybe we can get up tomorrow and be a little bit more uh, active. It's tough, you know, trying to pivot and uh, allow for people to, whether it's shifting priorities or shifting priorities at home in terms of health, you just got to go with it and make the best of it. Being sick as a parent is the worst because you need to take care of oh, the little God. one. And then Knock on wood. Is, oh. I haven't been sick in a long time. Knock on wood. I'm knocking on wood right You've done now. it now. <laughs> well, you've done it now. So, <laughs> I mean, you've done it now. Uh, you know, let's, let's see if that becomes a part of your story next week. But looking at your story from the past few years up until now, what I definitely would love to know, and I think the audience would as well, is, is what's one moment inside of Stephanie's origin story that the audience needs to know to get the, I suppose, the right context on who she is today. The right context of who I am today. Well, gosh, I mean, I'm I'm a complex individual, right? And so I think uh, there's a lot of components that make up who I am, my DNA. I would say I'm a consummate learner. I'm someone who I am passionate about connecting with people all the time. I, I actually made that my one of my five 2023 goals. I would say what has shifted in me is just investing more in myself, investing more in my community, investing more in being present. Uh, we have a lot of things coming at us on a daily basis. And I would say putting a dollar value on what is truly important in that moment in time. That could also, I think, resonate very well with sellers, right? If you had to put a dollar value on all the different activities that you have to do to make an organic growth pipeline to close the most deals, where are you going to invest your time? What, what is the dollar value you're going to put on your prospecting, on your email creations, on your cadences, on the, the demos that you're doing? I think once people really put kind of a dollar value, how much is their time worth? It's a big shift in how you approach your day to day. And I kind of owe that back to uh, a mentor of mine who I still keep in touch with. He was a chief sales officer that I worked for for about four years. And that was one of the things I didn't get it at the time. Like I would talk about it, but like until I started actually doing it myself, it was a big aha moment for me. That's huge. I mean, the the idea of being busy versus being a busy fool is is real, right? Sometimes we're working on tasks which might be out of alignment or where 
it's not really in our zone of genius or mm-hmm. we're not really thinking about where else our time could be spent opportunity costs i like that so ladies and gents if you're listening to this right now here's what i want you to do i want you to press pause okay and i want you to write down <laughs> what are the tasks that you've been focusing on today and let's assume that you put a monetary figure on your hour you know on your on yourself as an hour let's assume it's a hundred bucks, 500 bucks, a thousand bucks, whatever you feel is appropriate and tally up, right? How much each task has cost you. And if there's an opportunity to give it to somebody who I suppose do it in less time or even get it done so you can allow yourself to focus on your zone of genius. I like that, Stephanie. I like that. And when you're done, you can press play again. All right. So (laughs) you know what's funny? When I was reading your about section, you described yourself as an ambivert. And when I say about section for context, those of you listening, I'm talking about Stephanie's about section on LinkedIn. So to rewind, you described yourself as an ambivert. And I was like, oh my God, me too, right? So my friends first thought I made up that term when I mentioned <laughs> it to them years ago. And I was like, listen, this is this is a real thing. I was like, oh my God, that's me when you started speaking about it. So how do you define ambivert? And can you tell me about the moment when you realized, hold on, I think I'm an ambivert. I think it kind of goes back to my days as a sales trainer. I would love to engage with different individuals, get to know their personalities, how to communicate to them, how to best mirror them and their learning style. And there's a lot of energy suck that comes from that. And if you're training day in and day out, right? And I remember our university program was about a month long, um, intense month. And I would find myself like collapsing at the end, like, oh my God, I just, I feel like the life has been sucked out of me. And while I enjoyed the interaction with people and learning from them and really getting to know them, on the opposite side, I found myself really feeling drained after being with them. And so when I started to kind of just look more into different personality styles, I'm like, you know, I'm not that person that enters a room and it's like, Hey, I'm here. Woo. I love, I love the energy. Like, that's just not me. But I'm also not the person who's just going to stand on a wall and like watch everyone. I'm kind of a mix of both. Like I will find a small group. I will really dig into getting to know like everyone in that small group and consistently go back to that group. You will very hardly find me at a networking event going from group to group to group to group to group. I'll probably stick with the same five to six people. And then at the next networking event, I'll do the same, where it's really hard for me to kind of, I don't know, work the room, so to speak. But I also know that ambiverts really enjoy their time alone. And so while I don't get my energy from people, I feel like it takes a lot out of me. I do enjoy like learning and getting to know new people. I don't know if that made any sense or if I just had like word vomit. <laughs> no, it, it does. It does. Because as a speaker, I love stages, audiences, connecting with large groups of people, but people see that and they go, oh, this dude is a outright extrovert, but I charge up my batteries in solitude. I really yes. value 
Ravi time and sitting, meditating, writing thoughts down, going to the gym, going for walks by myself. So, you know, people often get shocked at that. So I feel you. I hear you on that. And it's cool to hear your perspective on that. And it's it's funny, your take on connecting with five to six people at, net, at networking events. I'm not surprised at that because the vibe I've gotten from you from the limited, I suppose, context that we have of one another is you really care about depth rich conversations and quality over quantity and it's funny how you can get that just from somebody's content that's I suppose what I've gotten from you and you know when it comes to quality over quantity connecting with people in person offline and all that good stuff I think the way we do that has really shifted since 2020 because the pandemic and I know one thing that you're so passionate about is People presenting their authentic selves and their full selves with prospects offline and online. And still in the world we live in today, I think virtual selling is a problem. So I suppose it poses the question, Stephanie, why do you think even today, so many sellers struggle to transmit their true personality through the lens? I feel like there's a lot of copy and paste out there. A lot of people trying to be something that they're not versus showing up and showing their authentic self. I think that there is an expectation as a SaaS seller, as a seller who's trying to do things virtually, that there's this expectation to fit in a box. And I think that shows up where, you know, I get a ton of reach out efforts from sellers and I'm sure you do as well. And it's really, I would say far and few between that I'm actually impressed by some of the things that I see when sellers are sending me prospecting videos, messages, etc. There's just no originality anymore. And I think that that's where people can kind of get sucked in and just kind of go through the motions of, oh, I'm, I'm prospecting, but I'm doing it the same way that everyone else is. So I'm just going to blend in and become vanilla. Not that vanilla is bad, but like you're not going to go a long way if you're vanilla. Mm, I love vanilla ice cream, but I don't love vanilla outreach. And I yes. suppose <laughs> you're a fan as well. I suppose... It poses the question, if somebody's listening to this right now and they're thinking, okay, I'm going to try and capture Stephanie's attention after this episode, what could somebody do in an outreach to Stephanie to wow her to the point where you're like, you know what, take my credit card right now. I don't care what it is. (laughs) Well, uh, actually, if I can, let me shift my attention over here. There was someone that actually reached out to me recently And they got to know who I was. They paid attention to some of the featured things on my LinkedIn. They tapped into some of the podcasts that I've been on and some of the things that were actually mentioned in the podcast. And so Mm. I'm like, okay, this person took more than two seconds to screen my profile to get to know like what I care about, what are the issues that I'm facing as a sales enablement leader, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so I do owe this person, I would say call back, but a response back and let them know where I am in this process. But to me, that's worth a response. Some of the other stuff that I give is just like very clearly boilerplate language, nothing about what I care about, what I am challenged with in my role, potentially what are my, some of my pain points. So to me, that was very much like, hey, I saw you in this podcast with so-and-so, you spoke about this, 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 and this. I think that my solution can help address this, 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 and this. What do you think? That got my attention. I know not everybody is reaching out to people who have that sort of 
thing front and center on their LinkedIn. But if you took more than five minutes to just get to know who your prospect is, get to know what they care about and speak in very layman's terms, like what, what they're looking to address, I think that that could potentially get a little bit more of a attention grabber from people. Cut, pause, or whatever we need to say for me to get your attention. Because before we get back to the show, I have some breaking news. Okay, listen, ladies and gents, feature selling is dead. And story selling is alive. Because if you really want to build trust, stand out, and close more deals in a recession, then you need to try something new so you can drive your company to a world of efficiency and profitability. And that's exactly why I've opened up many slots this year for different companies to partner with me for implementing my story selling framework inside of their sales process. Now, the outcomes are all the good stuff. I'm talking about increasing average order value, collapsing time inside of your sales cycle and driving win rates. But more importantly, transforming your team to sell in a way that really focuses on human connection. And hey, that's what I'm all about. So if you're nodding your head right now, then head on down to www.theravirajani.com forward slash contact to book your complimentary discovery call to see if there's alignment. And hey, if there is, great. And if there's not, that's cool too. I'll see you on the other side. Isn't it funny in a world obsessed with scale and just more we're forgetting intimacy and connection. And I actually think in a world where there's so much spam, it's actually easier to stand out, but it requires more effort. And I think that's the the truth, right? Is the effort piece. And to take it back to something interesting you mentioned earlier was this piece of authentic communication and bringing your authentic self to a conversation. I actually think a lot of people struggle with authenticity, maybe because they don't have a great handle on who they are and they actually don't know their identity and they don't know how to bring their authentic self because they don't know what that is. So for you, what's one thing that you've done over the years to get more comfortable in your own skin? I would first have to recommend taking one of those, I don't know, there's DISC, there's Predictive Index, there's Enneagrams, there's Strength Finder. There's so many different options out there. To me, getting to know some of the nuances of my personality how on a cognitive or behavioral basis has helped me identify what my strengths, my areas of improvement, what I need to really get to know my authentic self a little bit more. Because as people, we it's really hard for us to self-identify unless you have a career coach, a sales coach, someone kind of pointing those things out to you. I don't know. Have you been able to just sit down and self-identify and say, oh, this is one of my areas of improvement? I think we all have a little bit of uh, rose-colored glasses on when we're trying to identify some of those things. So to me, that has been an opportunity for me to all right, here's my strengths. I'm going to rock those out. Here's my three areas of development that I really need to work on a little bit better. How do I dig into that? Okay, maybe I need to put a little bit more energy into learning more about how to develop those areas. But to me, that's how you really become your authentic self. Self Self-identification, working on those things. And then I think it's a constant progression over time. I do think that there's the opportunity to 
recalibrate those tests every couple of years too, to see where you are. So I actually personally geek out on some of those different assessments. I know some people think they're garbage, but I think they're great. Well, I think it's cool to hear different perspectives of what other people do to get comfortable in their own skin and who they really are versus becoming who others want them to be. So, you know, for those listening, that's Stephanie's approach and try it and let me know what you think. Okay. Let me know what you think when it comes to taking a listen or I suppose listening to this episode. Now, going back on what you said, Stephanie, about being comfortable in your own skin, I actually feel like that is the whole game when it comes to communicating on camera right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a game of how comfortable is one in their own skin. So what do you think happens when somebody can talk to you, for example, offline, but then the moment they talk to you online or another prospect online, they freak out. It's like the lens does something weird to people. What do you think that is? What is that phenomenon? I think people get a little bit of imposter syndrome when stepping in front of a camera and quite frankly, I don't think anyone truly loves being on camera and listening to themselves. I actually really hate it. It's funny because I went to school to be a broadcast journalist. And so I still I know. hate when I hear myself, when I see myself. And so you just got to, I think, get over it. And the more that you do it, the more that you practice, I think there's a, a big element of practice involved in it. And People should take their time prepping for conversations or demos. Record yourself. It may seem silly, but like delivering those questions, delivering those maybe to a colleague or to your manager so that you're best prepped for those conversations so that you aren't a deer in headlights when that conversation does happen. It feels a little bit more natural versus scripted. The art of practice is lost in today's world of instant gratification. Completely lost. It takes so much practice, I think, to speak to a lens as if it were your friend. But that's just me. And I don't want to know what I think. I want to know what you think about the following things, right? So let's let's get hyper-tactical now and let's take a look at communication over Zoom, let's say, Mm -hmm. before a seller steps into the conversation during and afterwards. So if we take a look at beforehand, what are some mistakes do you think people make before they even enter the Zoom room? For example, well-known, I wouldn't say studies, but well-known opinions have been brought up about going from Zoom to Zoom, protecting your energy and all of that good stuff. Can you talk to that for a second? Oh, the the Zoom burnout, I think is what you're alluding to. Oh yeah, Uh, definitely it's real. Uh, I'm going to tell you it's real because I think if we kind of rewind a couple of years ago when we were stepping into this virtual world completely without any sort of like interaction face-to-face in, in real life, not behind the lens, how many of us were guilty of stacking your day, zoom, 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 zoom all day long? I know I was. I was very guilty of it. And I felt depleted at the end of the day because, you know, you'd go from meeting to meeting where you're very attentive and like listening and like you want to, you don't want to be slouching in your chair. You want to be aware. And and now I think a couple of years later, you know, have people maybe showing up in their pajamas, maybe not (laughs) dressed as nicely, kind of on Slack or their attention is somewhere else. It's not here. Yeah, there's definitely a lot when a Zoom meeting is happening. And I think it's evolved over the last few years. 
I'm not sure if I answered your question. Can you repeat it one more time? I want to make sure that I'm giving it the full. We're on the right track. I suppose to be clearer is what's Stephanie's go-to process for being present on Zoom calls before she even enters the room so she makes uh, a prospect feel seen, heard, and understood? First things first, pings, dings, and things. Silence your Slack, silence your phone, clear your queue of all things that could go ding, ping, sing. I know it sounds very Dr. Seuss-ish, but it is so distracting. And when you hear a Slack message, whether, you know, whatever sound it may be, I know you can customize those things. It is super distracting and it'll take away from the conversation. When I was prepping for this conversation, I made sure to silence all of those things so that I could have full command and my attention 100% on you. And I would expect every single seller to do that when coming to a demo meeting, a capabilities presentation, whatever it may be. But that to me, the pings, dings, and things. And yes, I am going to trademark that. I mean, it sounds like a dodgy nightclub, as I told you before we hopped on the show, (laughs) but I like it. You should trademark it. So, okay, I understand from a tactical perspective, that's a beautiful thing to do to ensure we are zoned in on the other human being. One thing I found is if I haven't meditated that day or my mind is racing, for example, it can force me to be less present on a Zoom call. So from an emotional perspective and a mental perspective, is there anything that you do to uh, really focus on listening versus what's going on in your head and really being present? I would say a couple things. First things first, if you're getting a lot of nervous energy, I find um, a hype song or finding kind of that song that gets you focused. I love that. I have a whole hype song Spotify playlist. I'm happy to share it afterwards if people are interested. Oh yeah, that's going in the show notes. Curated it with um, a couple people in the LinkedIn world. So I can't take credit for every single one of them, but maybe we can even add to it. So put it out there and, and curate some more good energy. So I find that like getting in a positive headspace, whether it's hype song, meditation, that really is one important factor. I would also say the practice element is really important. Um, the pings, dings, and things is another important element. There was one more, and I'm, of course, you know, my brain doesn't want to fire on all the pistons right now, but there was a, a fourth one, and I'm sure it'll come back to me at some point when you're talking to me. <laughs> We'll come back. We'll come back. All good. All good. I like it. I like it. So pings, dings, and things, and then a good old hype song. I love that, especially before a speaking gig. I love a good hype song, but I digress. So now a seller is in the room with a prospect and they want to make sure they make a great first impression in the first few minutes. What's your go-to for building rapport virtually in the first few minutes? And what have you taught other sellers to do at LoadSmart when it comes to doing just that? First, I would say it's important to kind of uh, get everyone acquainted in the room, right? So whether or not it's just me or there's other people in the room, I think it's important to establish who are these people and what, what role do they serve in the process? What are the pain points? I think... Uh, you know, by the time that myself and others are, are coming to the meeting, it's hopefully a little further along in the process where there's an established agenda as to what you're discussing and why you're discussing it. So I would say, you know, coming first things first, introductions, making them interesting, 
what role do they serve in the process, the agenda, aka pain points, I would say are truly, what do they care about? What's in it for me as we're sitting in this room? That to me is everything in establishing credibility, making people's attention sticky and and keeping it short and sweet because I find that a lot of demos end up waiting on and they don't need to. We don't need to have hour long demo sessions. Like why not? You know, people's attention spans are very short these days. And when I find that people are putting hour blocks on my calendar for a demo and then they take up 45 minutes of it showing me every single button widget feature, like God, this is this could have been like a vidyard sent over to me first and foremost. Like, why are we not just taking the first 10, 15 minutes to cover off on those things that I really care about and then open the floor for questions and then use the last 15 minutes for questions? I find that people just love sucking up an hour and I really don't understand why. Yeah, I hear you on that. And I think probably a lot of people are nodding their heads as you were talking. And when it comes to, I suppose, from a more subtle perspective, Mm -hmm. a lot of reps might wonder, hey, what shall I wear? Is it cool for me to wear my baseball cap and (laughs) t-shirt? Or should should I mirror the dress of my prospects and what's appropriate in the industry? How do you, what's your view on what somebody should wear for a virtual sales call? Great question. I have seen uh, a very big variety of what people show up. And I would say, use your best judgment, but that I don't even know if I can even say that because I think when you're looking to sell, you want to appear the most professional. And so that could be a simple t-shirt like you're wearing. You know, it's not like you're wearing a hoodie. I have a very simple kind of just collared polo on right now. Make sure your hair is combed. I would say look decently professional. Uh, I don't care. You don't need to be wearing a full face of glam makeup, but make sure that your hair is combed. Make sure that you're wearing a decent looking shirt without profanity. That's not super distracting. So I think like patterns and things like that can kind of look a little crazy on camera and making sure that you're the back of your camera. When I say like the background that you are in is also free of kind of crazy things. Like I think you and I both have some artwork behind us and some like, these are our homes. I'm actually in my home right now. I've seen, you know, unmade beds in the background. And look, I know not everyone has a living situation where you may be living in a studio apartment. And unfortunately, like you do have your bed in the background. Great. That's fine. Make your bed, put the pillows on it, make it look presentable. Just maybe if you can turn your camera so that your bed's not in the background. Maybe there's like a blank wall. Maybe you can put some artwork on it or something. Make sure that there's no clothes laying on the floor. I would say present in your best space, both yourself and the space around you. Because I've seen some very interesting things over the, the last few years, for sure. I appreciate your perspective. And on that point of Zoom background, you know, my take on it is somebody's background tells a story mm-hmm. about who they are and their values. So what the way I like to think about it is I've had plenty of times on calls with prospects where they have broken the ice with me because they have seen something mm-hmm. in my background and asked me a question about it. And for example, right now, Stephanie's sipping out of a cup that was sent to her by sales assembly. The moment I saw that, I was like, oh my God, okay, 
is that, I've got that. Is that a sales assembly cup? And I'm looking at the background in her picture and I'm like, oh, you can't deposit excuses, right? And I'm looking at the background. That's, that's what she's got in the frame in her background. And it's subconsciously allowing me to form a story about Stephanie's values, what she cares about, all that good stuff. So I really do think somebody's background is very, very important. But what do you think about this? And I'm torn. Virtual backdrops or hmm. normal backdrops which aren't virtual what creates more of a disconnect uh, i mean i use both I'm, I'm guilty of using both and i would say that you know sometimes the virtual background is is nice if you're not completely won over with whatever is happening in the foreground of your your video so again maybe i mentioned you don't have a living situation where you don't want your bed in the background. I, I've actually had some leaders say like, that's super distracting that our BBR has that in the background. I think that they need to get rid of it. I'm like, well, we have virtual backgrounds. I'll have them put like a nice logo behind them. Um, look, you're not going to win everybody over. And I do think that there's times of the year when people, I've had um, Christmas trees, I think around the holidays, I put like a Christmas tree virtual background behind me. And everyone's like, oh, that's so fun. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to get into the holiday spirit. I'm really excited. You know, I'm counting down till holiday break. Is there a right and wrong answer here? No, I think go with what you feel makes the best impression and potentially could be a great conversation starter to break the ice. To your point, right? I know that this little artwork behind me has actually kind of it's pretty firm, right? It's a bold statement. You can't deposit excuses, but I firmly believe it. You know, I wake up every day and approach my day with that opportunity cost kind of mindset. And if not, I'm not working on the right things, then I'm costing my company money. I'm costing myself money. And at the end of the day, this is what I wake up to and, and passionately think about. Well, when it comes to costing people money and companies money and also you know sellers commission i think one of the things that sellers struggle with in a virtual first world is communicating with confidence not sounding monotone and being able to articulate a message effectively with c-suite decision makers rather even if they secretly have imposter syndrome so for you are there any strategies that you teach your sales reps on how to captivate their prospects using their voice and without sounding monotone? Well, that practice element is very much important. I think when crafting the right words in a concise yet engaging way, right? I think there's a lot that goes into your script. And I'm going to say your script in air quotes because we don't just get on camera and start just shooting from the hip. I would hope that most people actually are sitting down and thinking of what some of those questions and anticipating some of those questions and writing down those things so that maybe you have like a framework to work from that you're not like, you know what, the worst thing that happens on meetings is on those demos or those capability presentations. I don't know. I have to go ask. I need to go get that answer for you. To me, that is like the worst way to approach. And once you start getting into the motion, you should start to anticipate there's going to be a lot of similar questions that come up. And so you should have somewhat of a semblance of an answer rather than let me go ask my boss or let me find that out for you, right? There's going to be very technical things that are beyond your scope that maybe you need to bring in a sales engineer, but you should really anticipate and start to hone into some of the themes and 
I would say prepare those things in advance so that you're creating very concise responses that are invoking conversation between you and the person. Because what's worse than asking, like, even if you have a question for them and you get a one word answer, you want it's a communication highway, right? You're, this is a, a two way street where you're trying to make, make sure that you're asking the right questions evoking the right responses and being able to take that and then turn it into another kind of question where you can, again, information gather, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So asking the best questions, asking the right questions, taking those questions, I guess it's active listening is what I'm trying to really drill down into. Active listening, I feel like there's not a lot of that going on in today's world. It's very transactional, I'll say. It's like, yep, yep, bing, bing, boom, let's move on. And I don't know if that's the right way to to frame it, but I will find that a lot of the same things come up and I'll finally just say, are you actually hearing me? Like, this is what I've said and this is what I'm trying to get from you. There's a lot of uh, gaps, I would say, in some of our sellers on a broad basis, active listening, asking great questions and preparing and anticipating questions and being ready to answer those questions, I would say, are some of the, the key themes that I'm finding in um, sellers abroad and sellers internally. So are you saying that the active, the reflective listening, the asking great questions and really meeting a prospect with where they're at, do you feel that that is the most captivating thing a seller can do to really stand out? Is it, am I hearing that correctly? I think so. I, I really do think that, that those are the things that I'm finding there's big gaps in today's market. It's really interesting, your perspective around being able to plan research and know which questions are going to be asked and also rehearsing them in a way that sounds conversational. I think one of the things that I find incredible is if if I ask somebody a question and they try and lie to try and save face, it breaks trust. But if somebody said, that's a really technical question. And truthfully, I don't know the answer to it because it's not within my arena of expertise. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to connect you with X, Y, Z to get you that answer after the call. Does that sound fair enough? I'll be like, oh my God, I love this person because immediately they become a trusted advisor. So I think- Absolutely. You know, on, on your point around highly technical questions, if you don't know the answer, admitting it is an incredible way to bridge the gap with people. What do you think? 100%. I think I've mentioned- deferring to that sales engineer or someone who's yeah, exactly. that, that technical person. But I've found very rudimentary, basic questions where the seller has been like, you know, I don't know. Let me, let me get back to you on that. I'm like, really? This seems like such a simple thing about your platform that you should know this answer. So that's where I think I really find sellers are a little weak in the market where they've not anticipated some of like the key themes about their product where they're probably getting a lot of questions about and they haven't taken the time to understand their product's capabilities to anticipate those questions. Now, again, that technical question, I would not anticipate them to be able to scope and answer that. They should bring in the experts. That's fair. And I respect that. Intention. Yeah. And what your piece around research and really doing it with intention is key because you want somebody with product knowledge, right? I feel you, my friend. I feel you. And listen, before I let you go, I would love to know what is one thing sellers can do after a conversation is ended 
virtually to ensure the conversation is continued in a proactive way that you're not seeing right now? What's one thing? I love a good video follow-up. I think the written word is great, but I think, again, that conversational aspect of really humanizing yourself and recapping. So, hi, Ravi. Thank you for your time today. Here's the things that we discussed. I really want to dig into X, Y, Z. We're going to bring in that technical person to answer blah, 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 blah. I would say say that that video recap is what would set you apart, in my opinion, versus that written recap. Follow-up is everything. But I think humanizing that follow-up is even greater and more impactful. I love a good video follow-up, right? A short, sharp video follow-up. And the truth yes. is, Stephanie, right? You'll, I'm sure you'll agree with this. That video is going to be diffused internally. So often it's for the champion to be able to use internally to really share your message with the decision makers. I love it. I love it. I love it. Listen, my friend, I appreciate you coming on, especially with the the morning that you've had that you tell me about in the green room <laughs> with the kids and all the craziness. But tell me this. I always like to ask the guest this question. And the question is, is obviously the show is called The Influential Communicator. So who is somebody that you look up to and learn from daily and you really believe is an influential communicator? Oh, that's a great question. I would say she's part of my network. I am a fangirl. I love Samantha McKenna. I think that she is absolutely amazing. I love, she's got, you know, her brand is right behind her on her screen. The show me, you know me, the urgent bird gets the worm. She is an excellent communicator. I love reading her content. Yes, I am a fangirl of her. And uh, I would suggest you go follow her because she has amazing content. I agree. Ladies and gents, I'm going to actually link the episode with Sam McKenna to the show notes of this episode. So you can go check it out if you want to. I love Sam. And you know, the cool thing about Sam is, is what you see is what you get. And there's a lot of congruency in everything she does. So I'm with you, my friend. I'm with you. Listen, if people want to learn more about what you're doing and also LoadSmart, where can they go? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. I believe it's literally smbenavidez after linkedin.com. So come connect with me. I'd love to grow my network and get to know all of you. All right, ladies and gents, listen, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Peace. I have a question for you, my friend. And that question is, is what would it take to have you subscribe to the Influential Communicator podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice because i tell you what my friend my big mission is to help b2b sellers and all listeners of this show sell more by becoming influential storytellers and communicators without without suppressing their personality and disowning their value so hey the more the word gets out about this podcast the more people we can gather on this mission so if you could support me then hey that would be dope. And if not, that's dope too. Either way, I got love for you. All right. I'll see you on the other side.